Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 24th, 2017. I am Sam Rosenberg, and you guessed it. You fucking guessed it. I am here with Shaka to break down week seven of the NFL season. Shaka, tell me how you're doing today. Uh, I'm mystified, Sam, honestly. I was texting you last night because I was watching your Eagles. Oh, yes. Watching. Well, that's where we're going to start today. I was watching uh, our, our now leader in touchdown passes for the season in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You, you're talking about the Eagles with the best record in the league, right? I'm just going to stand out of the way and let you do your little shimmy, your little dance. That's uh, I, I appreciate that because here it comes. That's right. It is time for Sam Rosenberg's weekly Eagles-gasm. And I have no reason to stop doing Eagles gasms because now the Eagles are officially at six and one. They officially have the best record in the NFL. We can officially start talking about them as a serious contender for the Super Bowl. Whoa, that's right, I said it. Carson Wentz is a serious contender for the MVP. And this team, even as they lose guys, I, I, it pains me, but they're still moving in with another impressive, convincing victory last night at home against the Redskins on Monday Night Football. A gut check game where they went down early, looked like dog shit in the first quarter, shook off the rust, shook off the injuries, came down the field, and Carson Wentz was just turning heads, throwing touchdown passes, and it, to top it all off, I'm talking... Eli Manning Super Bowl scrambling out of this sack to a first down. I mean, if you guys haven't watched it out there, go on YouTube right now and watch Carson Wentz scramble out of the pocket in this third down play where he should have been sacked but instead ran for the first down. He's now making things of legend. And the last thing I'm going to say this on is, listen, year after year, we're learning in the NFL that there are powerhouses, okay? There's the Patriots, there's teams like the Steelers. We can now talk about the Chiefs are officially in there right now. From the NFC side, you're talking about teams like the Packers, the Seahawks, these teams that are that are perennial sort of contenders. Maybe they have an off year here and there, but inevitably they come back and they dominate. Well, I got news for you. The Philadelphia Eagles have been out of that discussion for a bit. So when they start creeping back into it, it's hard for all the other pundits to really start admitting that this might be a realistic consideration. Well, they can start sh- shutting their fucking mouths and start talking about this Eagles team because, God damn it, they're 6-1 and one and there's no other way to not put them in the same discussion as teams like the Steelers and the Chiefs and the Seahawks and the Packers. Well, not the Packers anymore. you got to throw them in there right now because this is as real as it gets. And until I see them tail off like the Vikings from last year, I'm going to keep riding this Eagles-gasm. Oh, okay, I need a towel now. Give me a second. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I needed that. I needed that. I, just, I might need some Gatorade. Look, man, it's well earned. Uh, like you said, your Eagles are 6-1 and one now. Um, and you know what? Not to kind of reminisce so much, but I, I, I had this, this vibe of the best days of Donovan McNabb when not only did they have a great defense, they had, you know, an offense to go with it. They mm-hmm. were a complete package type of team. Now you were talking about the injuries, you know, um, Jason Peters went down last night. Yeah, this and, is, you know, it's a rough, it's, it's, it's a hard injury. I mean, it, it, at 35 and you know, it, what was it? MCL is a complete ligament tear. Uh, okay. So l- l- I'm going to talk a little, do you mind if I rant a little bit on Jason Peters I, for a second? This is, this is your squad. I, by all means. I appreciate that, man. Cause I, you know, this is my squad. It's an emotional time for me right now because they are as hot as they are. 
Um, I would like to talk a little bit about seeing him go down. Uh, I did read today he is done for the year. Uh, I did not confirm if it was a complete tear or not. I'm saying I'm, what I'm hearing is that there's an ACL MCL injury enough yeah. to finish his season. Um, it didn't surprise me after I saw the injury. It's very typical for an offensive lineman. Another offensive lineman rolled into his leg, bent the knee the wrong way, and he's crumpled on the ground. I think the thing I really want to highlight is how amazing Jason Peters is. This is a guy who's a nine-time pro bowler. This is a guy who the Eagles drafted Lane Johnson probably three or four seasons ago to replace Jason Peters not expecting the fact that Peters was going to continue to play for several more years and be just as dominant on the left side of the line. And now Lane Johnson is cemented on the right, ta- on the right tackle side. He's not even going to move over and take left tackle right now simply because he's been taking so many snaps on the right side. But to see Jason Peters go down, it definitely is something you got to consider for the rest of the season. You know, being able to sort of hold up Carson Wentz has been a big part of how this Eagles team has been dangerous. However, Kudos to Carson Wentz. I think his evolution is allowing him to go a little Aaron Rodgers-esque to be able to get out of a closing pocket. So I think the Eagles are going to be able to make do without Jason Peters. But when he went down, number one, right away, I felt it. I had a feeling this was this was it. This wasn't just the end of his game and his day, but also probably the end of his season. And what I also want to come out with is probably the end of his career. You nailed it, Shaka. He's 35 years old. He's up there. They were waiting. You know, this was bound to happen. And two other things I want to highlight before I'm done with this rant. One, when the when play stopped and he was down on the ground, Doug Peterson starts coming out onto the field because it's clearly a big injury and the head coach is coming out. Carson Wentz started wandering over to the sideline because there was a stoppage of play, and the camera caught a moment where Doug Peterson, it, they're, they're passing each other on the field. Uh, Wentz is going to the sideline. Peterson's coming out onto the field. Peterson stops Wentz, grabs him, turns him around, and walks him back out to the field. Because I think at that moment, he's like, listen, kid, you need to understand one of the most tenured and, and vital players on our on our offense is probably done for the year. And to then see the entire field, like both teams come out and sort of pat Chase and Peters on the hand and on the shoulder saying, good game. Because you and I were texting last night, Shaka, that was essentially his retirement ceremony right there. I don't know if we'll ever see him play another snap on the field. <sighs> Thanks for letting me get that emotion out there. And uh, please, go ahead and give some responses about Jason Peters, Shaka. By all means. Uh, look, I, I had no idea that Jason Peters was... I think they said he was undrafted. Yeah, I did not know that. I was absolutely stunned by that. I, I had no idea. I mean, the guy's a nine-time pro bowler and he was undrafted. That almost never freaking happened. And and to he was a tight end. I had no yeah. idea he was a tight end. So I mean, look, I can't even pronounce his replacements. I've heard you say the name Halapulavati. Uh, Halapuli Vata Vitai. Vitai. I can't even say his friggin' name, and he's clearly not ready. No. To take over at the position. Um, you you touched on it already. One of my biggest fears. Um is with the Eagles offensive line is that Carson Wentz one tends to be, um, he's aggressive. He's an aggressive player. He's, he's fearless. And you know, one of the things you want in your quarterback is to have some reserve. But I think part of what makes Carson Wentz so exciting to watch is just the courage. Um, I think you mentioned already that third down play where he bootlegs out of the pocket and just immediately commits to running the football himself. Yeah. And instead of slide tackling, basically like, missiles himself forward you know he has to be tackled in midair yeah to be brought to the ground i mean he's he's fearless yeah 
And he's, granted, he's young. Uh, you can imagine the offensive line trouble they're going to have if you have an older quarterback trying to stand in the pocket like that. So right now, I think Carson Wentz's youth is going to make up for the deficiencies that they have right now in the offensive line while they try to figure things out. And maybe Vitae can finally kind of play up a little bit more to, you know, the responsibilities that they need for him. Because Lane Johnson's already locked in where he is. Yeah. So I, if he, if Vitae can't lock down a position, there might be some, some scrambling going around to kind of reshuffle the deck there and get that. Because they need Wentz to be protected, no question. Regardless of how young and how quick he is, he's going to need that protection in the pocket. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on was the, there was an injury on the other side of the football. Oh, yeah, please go ahead. You know, um, some big losses, man. Uh, I, I'm a little bit nervous. I don't think there's going to be that much of a fall off in terms of uh, what the Eagles are going to have to look at, you know, uh, on the defensive side. But it's still, it's still a little bit of a concern that they're they're, they're going to have to, you know, Jordan Hicks was a big part of that defense. Yes, yes, and middle um, linebacker, and you and I both know that tends to be the quarterback for the defense. Yeah, so I. I think they're going to lose a little bit of that instinctual play calling and, you know, um, basically reading the offense. But I think they're going to be okay. They, they they played fantastic, fantastic football so far this year. And, I look, regardless of the injuries, regardless of the kind of the questions going forward, I still think everyone in the NFC has to look at this team and wonder, you know, how are we going to take them on? I agree. And it cannot be denied, these injuries. You know, Hicks, I believe, is a ruptured Achilles. Um, they thought it was going to be, yes. you know, he was coming in with an ankle injury, but it turns out last night he ruptured his Achilles on the third play of the game. And, you know, you nailed it. Losing these guys is going to hurt, but there's a lot of swagger right now in this team. They've got a lot in reserve. You know, they've got Derek Barnett, who hasn't been starting. Um, I have a lot of confidence in Jim Schwartz's ability to sort of respond. And, you know, on a positive side from the secondary, these guys are coming back. Jalen Watkins was back on the field. Corey Graham was back on the field. And Ronald Darby's practicing. So, That's not Darby's, yeah. You know, these. so as, as disappointing as it is to hear these injuries, which are c- crucial injuries, I mean, this team is throwing together so much magic that... I mean, this is how you're able to get through injuries. And, and listen, it's NFL. You're going to have attrition. You're going to have injuries. They were going to deal with this in some capacity. Part of the question is, can they weather these the, this storm? I think they yeah. can. I think they can. I think they're going to be fine. Like I said, they're they're the team to beat right now. Their their strength of schedule isn't amazing, but look, their 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 road record right now is phenomenal. Yeah. And they, they, right now they're, they're sitting high. So I think they've got nothing in terms of to be, to feel down about in terms of where they go from here. It, it, so far this season has been a total friggin' victory. Next two weeks, home game, home against the Niners and home against the Broncos. I'm feeling good about those matchups. Yeah, All right, let's shift right now. Let's go to the other, a uh, couple of the games I wanted to mention, which I thought really stuck out Thursday night game where the Raiders beat the chiefs. 31-30, where finally Derek Carr threw a touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree after like 15 untimed downs because there kept being penalties on the last play of the fucking game. I can't make this shit up. Um, but really, I think, Shaka, what I wanted to point out about this game, the Chiefs up until this up until this game were pretty much, they were the cock of the walk. They were the number one team in the league. People were talking about Alex Smith for MVP. People were praising Andy Reid's, you know, clock management situation. And then, you know, they got this clunker of a game against the Steelers that they probably shouldn't have lost. 
And then they lay this egg against the Raiders, where they kind of had it, but then... I mean, this was a do-or-die game for the Raiders. If the Raiders lose this game and go to 2-5, and five, you can pretty much kiss their whole season goodbye. And we were also talking a few weeks ago about Derek Carr was supposed to be out for six weeks. He misses one fucking game? Yeah. I, 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 please, give me, give me some thoughts about this game. And really, I, I kind of want to rip apart where do the Chiefs really stand? Like, do we feel that they're still a powerhouse? Well, first off, let's say uh, it looks like Amari Cooper's been located. Yeah, uh, holy he, shit did he get located. He, My he God. Spotted and immediately dragged onto a football field. Now, we've been waiting to see this production from him since day one of the season. Dude, I, the, last week was the first week I benched him in fantasy. And the, the irony, I pretty much had the same kind of week, just bad calls all around. Yeah, but God, Amari Cooper finally shows up, finally shows why he's so dangerous. And, you know, just a, such a young, instinctually smart route runner. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he absolutely scorched. Uh, a secondary that is highly touted. Like, how does that happen? I have no friggin' idea. But here, lo and behold, I mean, it could not have come at a better time. Yeah. With this team, uh, then for him to show up. Number two. Look, I still have my my reservations in terms of Derek Carr coming back miraculously to lead his team to victory. I I still think my issues that I had with the Oakland Raiders last season when we talked about this mm-hmm. are still my issues now where their defense, to me, just is not enough to get them over the hump alone. No, I agree. Look, we have a man who's basically, his back is broken. Yeah. Somehow, amazingly, after Marshawn Lynch is not even playing in the game, runs his team back onto the field. And, and I mean, look, it was just hats off to the Raiders, but I still look at that schedule, and I see the analysts out here saying that this game saved their season. There's still a lot of season left to play yeah. in terms of schedule you know they got a couple couple of winnable games coming up you know against the bills and the dolphins then after that you got the patriots you got the broncos and the giants which granted they can't really score their defense is still pretty good so i i'm i'm still as skeptical as i was from day one about where this raiders team goes at three and four i mean they've got to win everything yeah it it does feel like every game till the end of the season is going to be a playoff game for them and they were having some offensive issues even before Carr got hurt Uh, i mean part of me doesn't think that him being hurt and sort of coming back and having this exciting come from behind win is gonna you know fix the problems they have on offense because their running game is still pretty poor you know aside from the first couple of weeks with marshawn lynch I mean, he hasn't been able to replicate that. Now he looks like an old running back, and they really don't have much from the other running backs in their backfield. And, you know, I mean, you nailed it, man. It's like Cooper is back, but is he going to disappear again next week? Is Derek Carr going to start, you know, looking tentative in the pocket again? And this defense still isn't any better. No. No. I think one of the things we have to point out, too, is Marshawn Lynch's suspension has been upheld. Yeah, I saw that. So he will not be playing. So they're going to have to rely again on DeAndre Washington and Jalen Rashard to really put in the carries and, you know, handle the backfield duties. Granted, Jalen Rashard is a great receiver out of the backfield. I agree. They don't have have the kind of strength and power running game that they need to eat up clock time, you know, and keep that defense off the field. So there's going to be a lot of... uh, there's going to be a lot of relying on Khalil Mack to kind of do everything that he did last year. And I'm not sure that they're really, they, they just, I don't think they have the personnel, you know, uh, Gary and Conley, their draft pick 
is still dealing with a lot of injuries. Yeah, he has. I don't think he's been 100% all season. I think he's played two games all season. Um, he has. He hasn't been able to come back. So it's just there are a lot of things that you know that they they really have a lot of holes, man, and they, they they haven't really done. I wouldn't say it's their fault so much, but it's just you know the injury you know injury circus in the NFL has really kind of kept them from being as dangerous as they should be. Yeah, uh, Chiefs. Should we? Wor- is it time to panic? Like it- I don't think so. No, I I, I think look. The fact that the Chiefs still put up 30 points on this team, I'm not worried about their offense so much. The defense, they're not going to play like dynamite every week. Mm -hmm. And before that comeback, they had this game soundly in hand. I mean, look, I turned off the TV and I was about to go to bed. I was going to call it night because this game was pretty late for me. Yeah. And I went to bed and I kind of blinked when I looked at the score and I was like, you know, I kind of thought it was a fluke. And I woke up the next morning and they won. Yeah. So, you know... The Kansas City Chiefs kind of had this. I wouldn't say they had it in hand, but all things pointed to them, you know, winning this one outright up until, you know, all the antics that happened uh, later on in the game. So I, I, I think the Chiefs are going to be fine. This is going to be a game they're going to kind of have to not rest on their laurels and say, hey, look, we're not going to be the favorites every week. So they, they kind of have to play with a chip on their shoulder still till the end of the season. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I still have faith in them. I... I... I have faith in the Chiefs' offense in their ability to make big plays. You know, I think Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt, I mean, these guys are dangerous, and I think they're going to continue to be that. I think the thing that really shocked me was just them giving up 31 points. That just did not feel like the Chiefs. Yeah. And I mean, but I agree with you. I think they'll be fine. They'll bounce back. It's just that inevitably they're going to have one of these games. Like, I think it was last season, didn't they have that game against the Steelers where – it was somebody where they gave up like forty-two points and they got absolutely embarrassed. And you know what? I think didn't I think they played? I can't remember. Was, was it the, the Chiefs, Chiefs and the Broncos? Oh the yeah. I think it was the Chiefs and the Broncos. Um, it was one of the. T- I'm thinking of like a trio of games. It's either Chiefs and Broncos, or maybe I'm getting it mixed up with the Raiders and Broncos. But um, the, these these three teams uh, always go at it, and I'm not surprised. I feel like the Raiders and the Chiefs always kind of have a back and forth mm-hmm. battle, just in the same way that you know, like the Cowboys and the Giants kind of have a back and forth. Uh, it's just like a this is just a straight up rivalry right here. I think yeah. this is one of those matchups that no matter who's really the favorite, it's always going to be a close game. This was just an, this is actually probably the best game of the week, just in terms of just. Uh, surprise like it's just I'm, I'm still amazed that the Raiders won this one yeah me too me too I mean I watched the two-minute drive at the end of the game it was I was shocked I mean I I'm imp- I, I wasn't shocked that Derek Carr could do it but after the injury and the way they've played yeah. I was really impressed I mean it definitely they were fighting for their season look man I'm still nervous about his back injury I don't know how bad it is and you never know what these injury reports and how vague they are mm-hmm. but they put him out there in the field and you could see that his teammates were obviously you know apt to protect them and they were very defensive when they, uh, he got that late hit you know it was almost a brawl out there so it i i think everyone's a little bit nervous everything's literally riding on his shoulders and his back right now <laughs> literally <laughs> um all right let's get away from this game let's uh let's go to the super bowl rematch patriots falcons in I guess Fog Bowl 2017, right after the halftime, I thought it was I thought it was the pyrotechnics at halftime, but it got so foggy they had to go to like the the quarterback cams because that was the only thing you could see any of the plays. It got really really foggy. Um, <laughs> yeah. However, I must admit, 
Um, I don't really think it affected the game all that much. The fog rolled in at, in the second half, and it didn't really seem to, you know, inhibit any of the players' abilities to execute. The only thing it inhibited uh, the players' abilities to execute was the players on the Falcon side of the ball. The Patriots win this one 23-7 pretty handily. And what I don't want to focus on is the Patriots' defense. I still think their defense sucks. Um, I know that they've held the last couple of opponents to under 20 points, but I'm still not a believer. Um right. I think what I really want to focus on more so is is the Falcons because, okay, they start out 3-1. and one. There's a feeling they're looking good. They've had some positive plays on offense. You know, they, they won a couple of close games. Then they come out of their bye week, and now they look like dog shit, okay? They let up 20 unanswered points against the Miami Dolphins at home to lose the game. Then they go ahead and they have three red zone trips against the Patriots and they can't score on any of them. Their field goal kicker is missing field goals. Um, You know, there's this jet sweep on fourth and goal. I just, this is, I'm really, two things came out at me. Number one, poor coaching by the Falcons. And number two, Matt Ryan had a bad game. So I guess what we're, what I'm trying to say is this team was three and one with two games. And we're going to say this again and again. Week one against the Bears, they were a dropped pass away from losing that game. And then week three against the Lions, if Golden Tate extends his arm another half yard, they lose that game as well. So they're about, you know, a couple of bad plays from being one and five. So my question for you, Shock, is how real is this Super Bowl hangover for the Falcons? And I, and question B, do the Falcons make the playoffs? Go ahead. Um. Oh, I know where to start with this. I'm thinking back to I listen. I was listening to ESPN Radio a few bit days back, and they were talking to Jonathan Vilma about the the same idea, the idea of uh, the Super Bowl hangover, you know. And he was talking about the year after they won the Super Bowl, he won the Super Bowl with the Saints. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really believe in the Super Bowl hangover. He said that the team had changed so much, right, between that Super Bowl team and the team that he was with now. He's like the defense was still great. But, you know, like that guy who, you know, I counted on that outside linebacker, you know, his skill set was completely different from the guy who I played with last year. Right. You know, outcomes were different. Things changed. But he's, he's like, we didn't get worse. You know, we didn't have a hangover, but we were just a different team. Mm. Now, now that I've said that and I put that out there, because I thought it was an interesting concept. Please. I, like, I, I have a feeling I know where you're going, so I want to hear this. I think about, you know, what he said about personnel and – there's one personnel that we really need to take into account here, and it's the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Obviously, Shanahan's not the same guy. You have Steve Sarkeesian, yeah. who's never, ever done any offensive play calling in the NFL before. Yeah, It shows. And I was stunned, actually. I had to look up the numbers on this. But last year, the Falcons were averaging almost 34 points a game. Yeah. This year, they're averaging 21. <sighs> wow. 21 points a game. So it, their defense is actually better this year. Their defense is the same, if not better, than it was last year. But they're scoring so many fewer points that, of course, they look like dog shit. They, it looks like a hangover, but, it, I mean, there's not that much difference on the defensive side. It's just the offense is just not putting up any points. It, so it, 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 part of it can fall on Matt Ryan, sure. But at the same time, he just doesn't feel that same kind of chemistry, that same rhythm that he did with the offense last year. And, you know, I really want to harp on that because you just said it with Vilma talking about changing personnel. And 
aside from the offensive quarter, this is a very similar offense from last year. Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman, Taylor Gabriel still on the team. Mohamed Sanu's been a little injured, but he's still on. Like, this is all the same guys who were burning down defenses last year. And, I mean, it's hard to look at anything aside from the offensive coordinator because the play calling has been so drastically different. This is a team that was throwing to their running backs so much. They were so creative with their pass plays last year. I don't think they've thrown to a running back more than three times this season. And, I mean, you're on fourth and goal against the Patriots. You've been able to run the ball all game. Why the fuck are you doing a jet sweep to Taylor Gabriel, okay? Like, I mean, this is a moment where it's sort of like you really got to scratch your head with some of this play calling. And, I mean, it's terrible to say it because so often I think it's hard to sort of say how much influence the coach has over the players. And I think in football, coaching is a big deal because there's so much planning, there's so much scheme. You know, listen, all it takes is one guy to be like, oh, I thought it was the play where I was supposed to go left and I was supposed to go right. That's all it takes for an interception or an incomplete pass or your quarterback to get sacked. I get that. So when you get into a situation where the play caller is just so unconventional compared to the guys you have, and you're so not utilizing your your strengths on your offense and your skill position players, you sit back and you're like, I have a feeling the coach is the one who's holding us back right now. And that's really upsetting because this is a Falcons team that I think can still be burning down defenses, and I still have a lot of faith in their skill position players, but I do think that they are being held back by Steve Sarkeesian, and what is the answer with that? Do you fire him? Or do you just try to figure out how to adjust the playbook with him? Because I don't know what the answer is. I think they have to give this uh, a full year's worth of a ride just to kind of figure out, look, honestly, is this the guy? Uh, Because like we've already said, the personnel is all the same. I mean, you know, no one's lost any skills. They haven't degraded anything. I think Julia Jones has been brutally underused. I agree. That's pretty much obvious. Another testament to the coaching. So, I mean, it, it, again, it's just a question of can we figure out how to get everyone on the same page, how to get everyone comfortable with the offense, because really that's what it looks like. Um, and you look at the statistics, anytime Matt Ryan threw over 15 yards last year, uh, it was 57% accurate. This year, anytime he throws over 15 yards, it's 37%. Like, there's, there's a major difference oh. in terms of, you know, and My guys God. don't forget how to run routes. It's just that they're not comfortable with what they're doing. And I don't think there's anything so much as teams have picked up that much on their, their game plan. That's impossible. I think it's just, you know, it's a comfort level. Um, I don't want to say synergy, but I think that's probably the closest thing. I actually hate that friggin' word. There's something, there's something to it, you know, in in regards to the team, just not really feeling like fish in water with this offense. And when you look at the schedule, they're three and three right now. And they've got a lot of up and down games, games they can win, games that are going to give them problems. You know, they got the Jets next, they got the Panthers, they have the Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, and the Vikings. So I mean, they can really end up a 500 team or worse. Yeah, you know, seven and nine when this is all said and done. That's not going to be an easy schedule that you just listed. No. I mean, this is listen. This is they were they won their division, which means they're going to be playing all the division winners. They're going to be playing the toughest schedule and. I mean, this is what they bargained for. They should have won that Super Bowl and been, you know, if they had their trophy, it would be like, whatever. Who cares if we're losing all these games? We can buy a Super Bowl hangover if we've got a championship. But 
I mean, to see their defensive players coming back, and like you said, to see their defense actually taking a step forward, I mean, it's just it's just painful to watch this offense really sort of have difficulty figuring out who they are. At, after a year where their identity was so crisp, it was, I mean, difficult to keep up with. You knew what they were going to do, but they were still able to pl- to do it on you. And, yeah. I mean, now they look lost. I cut. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, oh, look, it's, they played six games. They have some time to kind of figure this out, but they need to do it fast. They need to do it fast because, you know, that division no is getting tougher. Uh, the Saints are looking good. Um, the Saints the, look great. The, the Panthers and, actually better. Dude, the Panthers and the Buccaneers are taking steps backwards. It's like, listen, this this division is kind of getting open for the taking. So if the Falcons don't grab it by the grab the bull by the horns right now, I mean, I think they'll be on the outside looking in, and the only person, the only team getting in the playoffs in that division will be the division winner. This is freaky. Uh, the, look, the Saints, uh, the Saints, we always knew could put up points, but the defense has actually gotten substantially better, which is kind of was their problem, you know, their Achilles heel, dude, for for years now. And look, look at what a difference, you know. Stopping a couple uh, touchdowns per game can mean for your team. I mean, magic to see the Saints playing D like they are right now. I mean, where the hell is they? Where the hell have they been for the last three, four seasons? I think they finally took the hint, dude. Finally, I would hope so. I mean, if they keep it up, they'll win the division with that D. Okay, now it's time to pivot. We're going to be talking a little less football. Well, less football. We're going to talk Kaepernick. We're going to talk Colin Kaepernick. That's right. Shaka and I are getting political. We we discussed it. We, we prepped ourselves. This is a show, listen, I know that the anthem protest, the Colin Kaepernick topic has been, you know, all over football. It's been all over sports. The, the president's getting involved. Everybody's got a take on it. But Shaka and I have, you know, we haven't really touched upon this too much because we're, we're football guys. And lots of times when we do this, we want to talk football. We're not too, you know, we don't tend to really get caught up too much in talking about the politics, but we felt it was appropriate to touch on this subject and riff a little bit. Um, so we're going to riff a little bit. Um, I want to start it off by saying, number one, I think there's there's kind of t- there's a two-headed prong here which I want to look at. Number one is that when Colin Kaepernick began kneeling during the National Anthem last season, he was very specifically protesting, you know, uh, police abuse and mismanagement of, you know, African Americans in this country. You know, this real sort of imbalance of police brutality, uh, you know, that was that was essentially ripping across the country last year when we had a lot of shootings and we had a lot of, you know, webcam, you know, body cam videos from police officers shooting people at traffic stops. So I feel like that's a big point of where his, his protest began. The point I want to highlight is how now the protests have kind of become something else. They've become this, we hate the country, uh, we hate the flag, uh, you know, we hate the president type thing. And it's kind of being pulled together and, you know, the, the, the NFL owners are getting involved and it's really muddying this initial message. So that's one thing I think I, I would like Shaka and I to kind of rip apart. The other, the other side of it, the football side, is that after we're seeing all these quarterbacks get injured, I could name about four different football teams that could probably go for Colin Kaepernick. And the, the topic of why isn't he employed in the NFL right now? Is there a realistic, you know, backdoor issue going on with the owners? Or is he just literally, you know, there's other guys out there who could take the job better than him? Um, Shaka, let's start with the first point about this message being muddied. Uh, give me some thoughts 
that you have about the change of the message? And, you know, where do you stand on this? How do you feel about what's happened? Well, I think it's, uh, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. I think it's frustrating to, to conceptualize that Colin Kaepernick has been protesting by kneeling for well over a year. You know, and again, like you said, originally this was something he did by sitting on the sidelines and he actually consulted with a Green Beret who said it's more respectful to the flag in the country if you take a knee rather than sit. So, it, it again, from the beginning, there was never, ever anything directly, you know, as an attack to the flag, the anthem, the troops, the country itself. However... It is an acknowledgement that, hey, there is something fundamentally wrong with the way African-Americans are treated in this country by the police. And I think that was stated pretty much, you know, unequivocally clear from the beginning. Uh, And you know what? Not that many people had a visceral reaction to it to begin with. And you forward that now to anything that Donald Trump puts his hands on or, you know, his Twitter fingers on, and it becomes this you're either with us or you're against us mm. kind of issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, I'm frustrated, and I think about this one sign um, from the, you know, a fan at a game that said, don't confuse racism with nationalism, which I think, you know, not so much that it's calling out people for being racist, but it, their refusal to acknowledge that, hey, people are upset you know, people are kneeling at games, not because they're angry at the country, but they're angry at the lack of empathy. I think, you know, rationalizing where people are saying, you know, can you go do that somewhere else? The whole idea is that people have been protesting, taking to the streets, angry with the way, you know, African-Americans treated in this country. And there's been very little reaction. There's been very little, you know, response. How do we go about like changing this, making things better? Uh, now, you factor that in with the league that is predominantly African-American and the African-American players are upset about this and people are demanding don't get politics involved in our football, which obviously no one wants. But when you let the, the president go and throw a can of gasoline on a bonfire and we now have this raging inferno, of course, you, there's no way to separate the politics from the actual sport itself. It's not going to go away now. That pretty much guarantees that. Whether or not you want it to be a part of your football, politics are not a part of, fo- part of football. And there are much more players now who are aware, who are educated, who are kind of figuring out what do I need to do to do my part to speak up against, you know, uh, the atrocities here. So, uh, look, people can be as upset as they want to be, but at the end of the day, I think there's a couple things we got to take away from this. Number one, if Donald Trump's mission was to be divisive and to make people, you know, less empathetic, um, he, he accomplished that. I think at the end of the day, uh, the, the message that was originally put forth by Colin Kaepernick has been so bogged down and buried and pushed under that it's no longer, you know, relevant why he did it. He's just disrespectful to America, period. Uh, I don't think anyone can really kind of glean what he was really aiming for. And at the same time, on the other side of the coin, um, I think this cements Colin Kaepernick as an unforgettable figure, no matter whether or not he does play again in the NFL. Because, I mean, it, he was the first person to kneel. He was the one man who actually took a knee. And look at where we're at a year later. 
where he is, you know, symbolic of this movement. Granted, again, it's been muddied by um, calls for nationalism and, you know, calls for patriotism, whatever you want to call it. And also just Trump using this as part of, you know, a divisive uh, function. I still think uh, his message has gone further than he could have ever imagined. I um, I hear you, man, and I'm with you. And I uh, I, I, w- I want to ride that a little bit because I think I think you really nailed something in the sense that Colin Kaepernick will be remembered for this. Whether we see him play another down of football, we're going to remember him not just as a football player, but also as a as an icon, as as a social presence during this particular moment in history. And I agree with you also that I think the message has been completely bogged down. I think it has been adopted and sort of mutated and changed uh, with President Trump sort of throwing a fire on the, you know, fuel on the fire and, and trying to get you to pick a side, you know, taking this, you know, like you said, you don't want to have politics in your sports, but Colin Kaepernick was the person who said, listen, this is one of the few platforms I have to make a large statement. And I think what you then got was a lot of other people in control, a lot of rich white people. I'm going to throw it out there because you did say a large portion of the NFL, I think the majority is African-American. However, pretty sure the majority of the owners are white and they are people in power, people who are in controlling. And then they take it and they want to adopt the message themselves Um they want to then continue to sort of argue that point of racism versus nationalism. You know, this idea of, well, there's many other ways to protest aside from disrespecting the flag and the troops and the country. Well, you know, I think is what you said at the top of your discussion, a kneel is not necessarily a disrespectful action. Um, however, I think, again, with the muddying of the message, All of that's kind of being thrown out the window. Uh, The president is putting everyone in a position of you're either with me or you're against me. You're either on this side or you're on that side. You have to pick a side. It's either for the country or against the country. Um, And it's it just does a disservice to the entire discussion, because if anything, I think one of the greatest things that Trump is good at is misinformation, confusion and distraction. And I mean, whether he does it deliberately or not. He does it, and he's good at it. And now, a year later, you know, we're yelling about, you know, disrespecting the troops, and we're not yelling about police brutality. And it's just fucked up because I think you're right. I think he accomplished his mission. And I don't even think it was his mission. And, you know, I don't want to cheapen this discussion, but I am going to cheapen it a little bit because... I don't speak too much about President Trump because I I have my own feelings about it and I kind of don't like putting them out there that much, but I'm not a Trump supporter. I think he's a piece of dog shit. Um, and I'm going to throw this out there when I say that uh, I read an article recently um, in The Guardian, uh, United Kingdom, uh, about uh, Shad Khan, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, pretty much saying that all this is just a, you know, this is Trump getting pissed off at the fact that he was never able to buy an NFL team. And this is yep. a personal beef that he has with the NFL. And, you know, I am going to cheapen this discussion because I do think it is a personal beef because I think the, the president is such a narcissistic fuck that he kind of can't see beyond his own nose. And he's probably just pissed at the NFL for not ever letting him into their special little club. Um, listen, I again, I just think it's as petty as that because I think that's as petty as the president gets. 
But still, the frustrating part is that he has won in making this no longer about police brutality, but instead, you know, making it a, are you with the country or against the country, which I just think is, it's, it's not right. It's not right to, to, to take this and bastardize it the way he has. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think the only other thing, the only other issue that, and I mean, I'm, my opinion on this is kind of reserved for the fallout when this is all said and done. Yeah. Is NFL owners. Yeah. Uh, I mean, way to fuck this up beyond repair, uh, being wishy-washy and trying to placate both sides. Yeah. Uh, again, like, uh, we, we were saying this before, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a black and white issue, no pun intended. You don't have to have a side. It's not either this or that. You know, something in terms of police brutality and crime and you know the sociology of everything it's a complicated issue it's it's gray as fuck like you don't necessarily have to be black or white in terms of interpretation of the issue there's plenty of plenty of plenty of factors that go into police brutality and you know whatever else is pissing us off you know and causing players to take a knee because one way or another it's not saying you know, lock every police officer up. It's saying, look into it, mm-hmm. address it. You know, like it's not an issue where you have to take a stand where, oh, I'm supporting the police no matter what. I'm supporting African Americans no matter what. It's saying, let's look at this. Let's take a closer look. Now, the NFL owners, they come out here. And I mean, at the end of the day, and I can't blame them, the NFL is a business to them. Yeah, they're worried about the bottom line. Yeah, they're they're, they're losing dollars. Revenue. They are losing they were, dollars, which they were doing anyway. But I think they're worried because it's the that that money loss is is accelerating. They're losing money faster, and the, we're not going to find out the metrics and the analytics about why this is happening. It could be because people are cutting the cord with cable, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you know, all these TV deals are really coming back to bite them in the ass. No one's really sure, you know. But factor that in now with this this bubbling over of uh, the anthem protests, and yeah. they have no idea how to handle this properly. I think from the beginning, they they really should not have tried to placate both sides. They, they, there's no point in going to war with the president, yeah. one, who's petty as shit, yeah. and two, trying to appease players who, again, your league is predominantly black. Yeah, Trying to, to, to placate it's not going to work. Like trying to say, oh, look, we're supporting you. But at the same time, we really need you to stand up for the anthem. It doesn't work like that. No. You can't be, you can't have both ways. And I mean, right now, Colin Kaepernick is filing, you know, a motion against the NFL for collusion, for keeping him out of the league. And I'm, I'm not a legal expert, but I'm trying to figure out how exactly they're going to prove that there hasn't been, you know, a, a uh, a reason, a good reason, a really good reason well, to keep him out. Let, let's touch on that. So right off the bat, I mean, can you think of at least three teams that could use Colin Kaepernick right now better Baltimore than... Baltimore Ravens, yep. the Arizona Cardinals yep. just lost, Carson Palmer, yep. the broken arm. Um, Green Bay Packers. Ironically enough, the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. That's I mean, what I was going to say, the 49ers too. I mean, the 49ers, we don't know what we're going to get out of that kid, CJ, whatever Beth- his name CJ is. CJ Beathard. Beathard. Yeah. Third, but I mean, they could really use a good backup quarterback right now. Yeah. And the Bears, we can also say the Bears because Mitch Trubisky's still a little bit 
on the wobbly side. I think he threw like four passes this past. Oh weekend. my god, I don't know how he's so. winning. I mean, and and Trubisky, listen, I don't want to throw Trubisky. I don't want to say he's a bust yet, but uh, but. One of the benefits for Trubisky for the Bears is because he's mobile. Mike Glennon wasn't mobile at all. Another reason why yes. I think Kaepernick would be a good fit. He's a mobile quarterback. He could yeah. he could be a great backup to Trubisky. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have to be a starting quarterback, but you have a backup quarterback in case your starting quarterback is injured. And obviously, you want a backup quarterback who's either experienced or good and has potential. Which a lot of NFL teams right now, they have a major, major problem with having quality backups. When your starter goes down, you're pretty much fucked. Yeah. In the NFL right yeah. now. No, you're I mean, absolutely right. I can't right. think of many teams that have a good backup where you say, oh man, well, at least they have this guy. Yeah. It's like, not many. Uh, like maybe two or three. Yeah. So, it, so, I mean, that's probably one of his prevailing arguments is you can go off of statistical numbers. And the last time Colin Kaepernick played in the NFL, threw 16 touchdowns, three interceptions. So, it's I, not I bad. Mean, for, for, you know, for the 49ers, who right now are woeful. Yeah. The, the Cleveland Browns, I mean, have won two out of their last 34 games. Oh. You, can't, you mean to tell me they've gone through seven, they, we count six, seven quarterbacks last year they went through? At, at least. At they least. couldn't stand to do some stability. You, you know, like I'm sure Hugh Jackson's probably clutching a rosary every game, <laughs> hoping that someone will come and make sense and give him a shot. So I think, and to some degree, Kaepern- Kaepernick's going to have some kind of validity some kind of weight going into this. I don't know how they're going to prove collusion per se, but that all depends on what the definition of collusion is in this case. Do it's not you... like the NFL owners had like some evil meeting with cigar smoke in the air and saying, "All right, so we're all agreed, we're going to keep this kid out." Right? I mean, honestly, I have a feeling it's probably you're probably not far off from the truth, man. I'd like to think so, it isn't that ridiculous, but I kind of feel like it is. Yeah, I mean, because there's no real justification, and I think the closest we've come to the silliness is uh, Ray Lewis going on television and saying that Colin Kaepernick's girlfriend was the reason he's not playing because of some some pro-activist post she had on social media, which doesn't really do them any help that, you know, uh, his girlfriend is the reason he's not playing in the NFL. I'm trying to remember the, the, the quarterback, not the quarterback, the corner, um, Grimes. Grimes. Oh, right, wife. right, right. Mm-hmm. On uh, Miami, nightmare. right? She was an absolute nightmare. Of you know a partner in terms of keeping your your profile, your keeping your low profile. And he, I'm pretty sure he found work with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after that, despite knowing what you were getting yourself into. So it's it's a very very thin argument that any team's going to have right now, and I'm interested to see if anyone, any owners or anyone in personnel from any teams are going to have to come and speak to why you wouldn't bring in a quality backup. Do you uh do you think he, uh, Kaepernick plays another snap in the NFL? Honestly, man, that's a really hard question. I I would want to say from a logical standpoint a no because this this blackballing is it seems to be effective. Mm-hmm. And look, we've seen some crazy rulings by the NFL before, so you know it 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 can go a, a million different ways. But if he played another snap or another down, I'd be amazed. Yeah, I agree with you. Because I think he's talented, I think he's still competent, but I don't think any of these teams are going to touch him. I don't think any of these owners have the balls, and I think they just want to step away, you know, put a 10-foot pole out there, and we're not going anywhere near that. We would rather go, you know, in the NFL, players come and go so fast, I mean, they're just going to wait this one out. They're just going to wait as long as they can until the name Kaepernick becomes less and less part of the vernacular. Yeah. It's just a... 
I, 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 I think it's unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate. Look, man, it's, it's a hard, this is, it, it, it's, it's hard because it's very much in the moment. And it's, I think it's kind of a reflection of everything in the country as a whole. There's so much uncertainty. And I, I think we're treading new ground that should be old in terms of political issues, social issues, racial issues, things that we thought we were past and uh, lo and behold are still very fresh. And I don't think anyone really knows how to handle that right now. Wow. I agree, man. Cause like as, as, as me, Sam Rosenberg, I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to every day. I, you know, if it's not hearing about issues or talking about issues, I mean, it comes up in some way. If it's not on your Facebook page, if it's not on your phone, if it's not on your TV, it's on your radio, it's on your car, it's it's someone talking down the hall as they discuss a particular topic. It is in the consciousness right now, and it's just unfortunate to hear this kind of go the way it has, and to to have us in this, to have us still in this situation where uh, you know the president is pulling out Twitter battles every Sunday and uh, making this a thing and. And as you said, creating more division within the country. It's unfortunate. It's crazy. I, really. <laughs> I, I want to laugh. Um, I just think about this uh, Saturday Night Live skit with Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they're just not surprised. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm surprised. But at the same time, it's just like, man, I, I think about this uh, argument. I didn't want to bring this up in the podcast, but it actually is kind of relevant. Um where I was a friend of mine who's very neutral politics wise. He doesn't really, he's not leaning left. He's not leaning right. He's kind of like, you're all crazy. There's got to be some middle ground is, you know, very pro, you know, supportive of players rights to kneel, you know, right. There's no violation of, you know, free speech. He's like, this is their right. There's nothing saying they can't do it. Then let them do it. If they are allowed to go ahead. And, he has a friend who's commenting and saying it's disrespectful. You know, my father was, or, you know, my family was in the, the, in the armed forces and this is ridiculous. And I not necessarily went on a rant, but it was just her, her, her certainty of like being that this was a a patriotic issue. Right. I never get into these battles, but I kind of laid down the law where I said, look, I was like my father, my brother, both served in the armed forces, and they think that the players have a right to kneel. Wow! I, I explained to her, "Look, I, I've never been arrested in my life. My criminal record is clean, but I've been stopped by the cops in my life. I'm 33, at least 11 times. Wow! And a lot of that happened for about the first two years when I moved to Brooklyn, and I was this wide-eyed and like, you know, innocent guy who's like, I'm gonna walk everywhere in Brooklyn. I'm gonna map it out." by instinct and that pretty much lasted about three months because every night when i was walking the street a police car would drive by a little more slowly and every now and then they would stop and they would tell me to put my hands up against the wall um and i think pretty much the the knife in the coffin for me exploring brooklyn was one night i was walking home from work and the police car drives by me mashes on the brakes and then goes in reverse about 15 feet Two cops come out of the car. He tells me, you put my hands up against the hood of another car that was parked. Pass me down. He asked me for ID. He says, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. He asked me, where am I coming from? Like, I'm coming from work. I was a security guard at the time, and I had a big hat that said security in giant block letters on the forehead. 
and it had a big block letters on the back that said security. So it wasn't hard to figure out what I did for a living. And he looked at me, looked me up and down, and instead of handing me my ID back, he threw it. He threw it at me, and it landed underneath the car. And then he says, get the fuck out of here. And gets back in his police car and drives off. And just so you guys don't think it's anything to do with racism, his partner, who didn't say a single word the entire time, was black. He just kind of looked around to make sure that, you know, the streets were clear. I don't know. Mm. But after that, I never walked the streets again at night. Like, I'd always take a fucking taxi. But, I mean, the fact that I was afraid to walk the street, isn't that fucked up? I mean, that's oppressive. Like, that's... That's fucked up. That's part of the oppression that we're talking about, where I I don't feel comfortable walking the streets at night, you know, because I'm afraid I'm going to be harassed or interrogated by the police. So Um. I... I asked her, I said, do you think that's fair? Do you think that's right that I should be worried, you know, and that I'm not allowed to be upset about it, you know, but people are questioning, uh, you know, kneeling for the flag when in a league where the NFL probably is the most patriotic league of any of our other fucking sports. Yeah. No one, no one respects the troops more than the NFL does. So I think it's just ridiculous. And I think at the end of my rant, her response was one line that just said, okay, but why is he taking a knee during the anthem? And I, like, <laughs> wanted to throw my computer, like, across the room, and I was like, this is pretty much talking to a wall. Yeah. I think people are just locked into the way they feel about the issue. And I, you know, it's it's one of those things where you're just, like, either kind of you keep on digging in and arguing with with water or you, you walk away. You know, people are stuck in their ways, and I I like to think that as every generation comes along, we get a little bit more progressive and a little more understanding, and that's just inevitable that we're all one day going to kind of figure all this fucking shit out. Hopefully, we figure it out a little faster once we realize that Trump is just divisive and trying to wind the clock back to a a time period that we're just never going to have again, that we shouldn't have again. Yeah. But it's going to take time. Yeah. And listen, I, uh, I want to say thank you for sharing that. I know, um, I've heard that story before the, the one in particular you just told it's, it's always kind of stuck with me and I don't want to make this any more about me, but I can tell you that I've walked home many times in Brooklyn late at night and I've never been stopped. I would like to say that to just give pure context and perspective, uh, because I do think there's something inappropriate, wrong. There's not another adjective. There's something fucking wrong with that. And I think that part of what we're discussing, part of these protests is trying to touch upon that argument and not upon disrespecting our troops and our flag and our anthem. And in a way, I think that's all we're trying to talk about and all we're trying to bring focus on. So thanks a lot for sharing that story, Shaka. That was really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Listen, I think it's time to get out of here. I don't know if we need to dig up any more of this stuff we've had our i started off with my eagles gasm and we finished off with i think a really uh, a really meaningful discussion about this topic is there anything else you want to share i think it's been a productive day man yeah i think uh, i think so too um <laughs> and like that we went from me jizzing all over my chest about the eagles to shaka and i sharing very very meaningful story well really shaka sharing meaningful stories about his life and what he truly goes through and uh Listen, we're just two people talking about what we go through, what we go through every day, what our perspectives are, and you know, listen, you can take it with a grain of salt, take it what you want. We're just talking here, and we appreciate you listening, and hopefully, it makes you think a little bit. 
Um, but that's all we got. Listen, thanks a lot for listening. This is Sam Sports Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones. Always, always email us mailbag questions at samsportsstation at gmail.com. We will be back next week to talk more about this week's slate of games. Week eight's coming up. A lot of important games. A lot of teams on by. I mean, we're about halfway there, man. We're really going to get a sense of what what the playoffs are going to look like. So I'm really, really excited. Um, Enjoy this week's football. Uh, Shaka, any other parting words? Um, Just like thank everyone again for listening. Um, I know we gush about football all the time. But, you know, this week I think we just kind of – we've been – Sam and I have been talking about, you know, mulling this over and should we do this and, all right, what should we talk about? So I'm I'm actually really glad we we got a chance to just at least acknowledge that there is something else going on, you know, along with games every week. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Shaka. Thanks a lot for sharing that, man. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Take it easy and uh, bye bye. Bye, guys.